It's great to see all of you. I'm so happy that you can be here today, and I'm wondering if over the holidays, did anyone do any traveling? Any traveling? Great. Oh, really? All right, all right, all right. Good, good, good. Rob, where did you go? Oh, to South Korea. All right. Who else, who else traveled? Let me see a hand. Jay. Las Vegas. All right. All right. Yes. You came here. You traveled here. All right. Good, good, good. A couple of others. Where'd you travel? Where'd you travel? Yes, Tyler. To Florida. All right. And Stephen. Walmart. He leads a sad life. <laughs> uh, so you all had some pretty good destinations other than Stephen. Those were, were great places to go. Uh, but I bet you would probably all agree with me that you didn't go there for the place. You went there because there was somebody or some bodies there who you wanted to see. Somebody that you have a relationship with that you wanted to build your relationship with and, and pour into. Somebody that you loved was probably at every one of those destinations. And so today we are going to start a long trip a long trip in the Bible, and it's long for two reasons. It's long first because it will take us probably till the end of August to get through it. And it's long because we have to go back about 3,000 years to when this happened. So we'll be looking at the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to start studying 1 Samuel, and I am so excited about that. 1 Samuel, the events of that happened about 1,000 years before Jesus Christ. But while 1 Samuel is our destination, that's the place we're going, it's not why we're going there. We are not studying 1 Samuel so that we could learn more facts about 1 Samuel. We're not going to study 1 Samuel because we want to learn more facts about God. Both of those things will happen, and that's great. But the reason why we're going on this trip is to meet with God himself. He is the author of the word, and we are, we are taking this trip so that we could learn more about him, not just more about him, but learn more of him and experience more of his love, of his grace, and that our love, too, would grow. So we're going to 1 Samuel, but our goal is God. Our aim is Jesus. He is the object of our pursuit as we begin our study there. Now, I th I'm, I'm sure I've said this before. It's easy for us to lose sight of this. I love studying. I love studying anything. But I love studying the Bible. And when I study the Bible, I get so excited to learn what an Amalekite was or what was inside the Ark of the Covenant or what route the Apostle Paul took on his journey. And then I close my Bible and I feel great that I learned those things. But I realize that I haven't met with the Lord. The reason why we study the Bible is so that the Lord would speak to us and so I have to stop myself and stop from getting so excited about learning those things and say, Lord, work in me today. How will you convict me today? How will you encourage me today? How will you shape me? How will you prepare me for what's ahead of me today that I don't see? And that's what my prayer is as we study 1 Samuel together. We want to, we want to, to have our love for God strengthened. 
and for us to love him more and for us to receive his love and grace as we become overwhelmed with him while we yield to him. So that's why we're doing this. So are you with me on that? All right, let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for the book of 1 Samuel. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for speaking to us, for, for even reaching out to us. You didn't have to do that. But Lord, you have given us your word, and we are excited to come to it, not just to learn facts, but to know you, to have deeper relationship with you, to understand how deeply you love us and how you have reached down to us to bring us to yourself. Oh Lord, may that begin today and would you continue that work as we study through 1 Samuel. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. amen. So we, uh, why do we preach the word of God here. There are so many good things. I could talk to you about a good movie I've seen. I could talk to you about some books I read recently that I'm all excited about. But why do we spend time every Sunday morning only preaching the Bible? Well, we do that because it is the authoritative word of God. All of it, every word in the Bible is inspired by God and given to us by God. He is the authority over it, all of it. The scriptures say that all scripture, all of it, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And this really connects to our purpose statement that Faith Community Church exists to equip everyone everyone for spiritual maturity and fruitfulness. So we come to the word of God because it is authoritative in our lives. It has authority over everything in our lives and it equips us. We also come to the word of God because it is truth. It is truth, it is true, and there are no errors in the word of God. We see Jesus when he's praying to his father in heaven, he says, your word is truth. And back in the Old Testament in Psalm, it says that God's instructions are totally reliable, not just somewhat reliable, not just pretty much reliable, but totally reliable, and all his regulations endure, not just some, but all. The word of God is trustworthy, so it is authoritative and it is trustworthy. The Apostle Paul reminds us in the New Testament, he says, whatever was written before, so he's referring certainly to the Old Testament writings and might even be referring to some of the New Testament writings that came before he wrote the book of Romans. He says, whatever was written before was written for our instruction so that through our endurance and through our encouragement, through the encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. So here's what this means. If the Bible is authoritative and it was given to profit us and it is total truth in everything that it is and it comes from God and it promises hope if we study it, then we can expect good things. That's why we preach the Bible here. And as we study First, uh, first Samuel, we can expect good things. We should come here expectant. 
expecting that God will encourage us, expecting that he will strengthen us for daily life, expecting that he will give us hope. Does anybody need to be strengthened or need hope today? Well, that's why we do this. We come to the word of God because he promises on his authority that he will do, do that for us. And so that's why we come to 1 Samuel. As I said, we will probably be in this book for, uh, for about eight months. Now, we will have some spots in there where we'll put some other things. We, we look to have a, a, a sermon on a biblical view of war, biblical view of marriage. Those two things are not connected necessarily. Uh, we, we plan to do a biblical view of gender and identity, biblical view of work. So we will have some other spots in there, I'll take a few detours on this trip, but for the most part, we will be in 1 Samuel. And I think 1 Samuel is one of the most exciting narratives in all of the Bible. It's filled with all kinds of energy and excitement, and I hope today to get you excited about reading it. The context of 1 Samuel is the broken nation of Israel. Now, let me take you back 400 years before that to the Exodus. The Exodus was a time when God, through his servant Moses, led the nation of Israel out of slavery, which they had been in for, for several hundred years, took them out of Egypt and and was going to bring them into the land that he promised them. What's so significant and why this is such an important event in all of scripture is that God formed the Jewish nation at this point. He brought them out and he said, you are now my people and here is your code of laws and that's what we have in the first five books of the Bible. Here's your, your code of laws and here is how your government will be set up. God established them as a nation. It's also incredibly significant for the nations around them because so many of those nations were the enemies of Israel and they saw what Israel's God did and they couldn't explain it. How is it that Israel's God was able to be stronger than all of those gods of Egypt, which were no gods at all, of course, and bring that people out and they feared the nation of Israel because they feared Israel's God. That was the Exodus. So soon after that, well, 40 years after that actually, Joshua, God's servant, led Israel into the promised land, what we call Israel today. And this was a loose confederation of tribes. Now the tribes, I don't know what you think when you think tribes, but let me explain that biblically, a tribe is just a family. So Jacob had 12 sons and basically, Easy explanation, basically each son became a tribe and was given a certain plot of land in the land of Israel. So we have this loose confederation of tribes that were be, to be, um, and their one unifying thing was that they worshiped one God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, they worshiped him. God was to be their ruler and he was going to rule them and guide them and protect them by using human judges. That, that, he would, that he would lead and move in their hearts. And he was going to lead them in their relationship with him through a whole system of priests. So we have a system of priests and a series of judges. The judges were to lead militarily and politically. Now, 400 years later at the start of 1 Samuel, Israel is, is in a shambles. They have descended into moral corruption 
They're full of immorality. They're full of idol worship. They have rejected God repeatedly over and over and over. And God keeps coming to them and saying, I am your God. They will turn to him temporarily and then put him aside again, put him back on the shelf. The last three chapters of the book of Judges are some of the, the, the hardest portion of scripture to read. When you read those chapters, you say, this is in the Bible? God included this? Because it shows how morally corrupt the Jewish nation, his people, had become because they had rejected their God. And so it's that in that context that we enter into 1 Samuel. The book of Judges ends with these words, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You know what that is? That's moral relativism. Can we relate to that? We can certainly relate to that. They're no different than us. We would be in the same place. If we were the chosen, chosen people of God at that point, we would be in the same place as them, just like they have moral relativism. Everybody was doing what they wanted. I think this is right. I think this is right. I think that's wrong. I think that's wrong. And you know what? Anything's okay. Just do what you want. Just get along, get through life, and you're going to be okay. But that first sentence there, in those days there was no king in Israel, expresses that at the end of this book, there was a hope. A hope because the system of priests had failed. And a hope because the series of judges have failed. Will there come a king who will rescue us out of this soup of mire? And that brings us to 1 Samuel. That's where 1 Samuel picks up. Now, if you're looking in your Bibles, you'll see that the book of Ruth comes between Judges and 1 Samuel. And that's because the book of Ruth was a, an account of a lady, a, a woman, and her, the man that she would, she would marry. And that happened during the time of the Judges. But chronologically, Judges goes right into the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, which begins by introducing us to a man named Levi. Levi is a priest, and he had two sons, his sons Hophni and Phinehas, and they were corrupt. They had abused the sacrificial system. They were stealing from worshipers as they would come and bring their sacrifice. They were stealing from them. They were committing horrible acts of indecency with the women who were volunteering at the temple or tabernacle at the time. We also meet the beautiful and godly Hannah, who is a woman who cannot conceive. She's had no children and she can't have children, which is a great shame at this time. Because of that, her husband Elkanah married a second wife, Peninnah, who had many children and proceeded to bully and harass Hannah repeatedly over and over. The Bible says year after year. And Hannah prayed to God. She prayed, Lord, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. And the Lord heard her prayer and answered and gave her Samuel after who the book is named. She gave him Samuel. Samuel grew up in the temple and became a righteous priest. Finally, after all the corruption, after all the decline, Samuel is going to lead the people righteously. 
And you get this sense as you read 1 Samuel, you get this sense that the Israelites are like, you know, Samuel, you've got this whole God thing down pretty well, and you got the whole ruling the nation down pretty well. We're just going to leave that all up to you, and we'll just keep living the way we want to live. They didn't take seriously their own spiritual condition before God. They said, Samuel's got it covered. We're good. We've got a good priest. Everything's okay back in Israel now. We'll just leave it all up to him. Well, they continued to reject their God until it came to the point where they said, we want a king. What they meant by that was, we don't want God anymore. We want a king, just like all the other nations have. And so God granted their prayer. He gave them a king who was tall, handsome, valiant, a good, a good warrior, and just like all the other nations, didn't have a heart for God. And they lived under that king. King Saul, King Saul who was plagued with insecurity, with fear, with paranoia, with a penchant to do things his own way and disregard God. To, again, to put it in our terms, he was not yielded to the Holy Spirit in any way. He continued to disobey God repeatedly over and over and over, and God said, I am going to take the dynasty away from you and your family. None of your sons will ever rule the way you have ruled, and I'm going to give the kingship, turn the kingly line over to another man. Well, that man was actually a very young man, David. And let's see, is Mark Lytle here? No, I'm, I'm sorry, I mean Craig. Craig Lytle, would you stand up, please? You're looking at a, a young man who is probably the age of David. Samuel comes up to Mark and says, David, you're going to be king of Israel. Mark, I did it again. <laughs> you know, in the first service, I messed up the name as well. You know, I'm terrible. Sit down, Craig, David. <laughs> you did well. <laughs> anyway... God told Samuel to anoint David, a man who is probably Craig's age, we don't know for sure, to be king. Was he ready to be king? Not yet. God gave him 10 years, 10 years to get ready to be king. But during those 10 years, Saul knew it. And Saul spent that time pursuing David, trying to kill him, because Saul knew that David was gonna get the kingship. It will be David's dynasty that would carry on through Israel. And so through the rest of the book, Saul is trying to kill David. And the book ends with the death of Saul. Saul dies. David doesn't actually become king until 2 Samuel. So let me explain this. First and 2 Samuel were originally one book. But three or four years before Christ was born, uh, they made a Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. Well, when they did that, the scrolls were shorter, and so they divided the book of Samuel into 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. So it's one continuous narrative. We will probably only cover 1 Samuel, at least for now. And if I were a movie director or a movie producer, I would absolutely make 1 Samuel a movie. It's a great story. The, the, 
the account that takes place is unbelievable. It's just full of intrigue, it's full of love, it's full of hatred, murder, near-death conquest, covert operations, feigned insanity, real insanity, witchcraft, exile, it's full of everything. I mean, you'd want to watch this story. I don't know why it hasn't been put on film yet. And we are familiar with so many of these stories. You know them, David and Goliath. Ever hear of that, right? David and Goliath, the friendship of Jonathan and David. Hannah, we've already referred to her. Hannah's prayer for a son and God grants it. We have David's insanity or pretending to be insane while, while he's over with the, uh, with the Amalekites. It's full of great, familiar stories, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid that the familiarity will make us shut off. And think of this just as story, and not as what it really is, historic account. This is historical writing. These are not just kids' stories, and if we approach it like that, we will miss what God is trying to say to us. So I hope we can get beyond, beyond the, uh, uh, well, if you just face your giants like David did, then you'll be able to conquer whatever problem you have in your life. I hope we can get beyond the simplistic view of, of Hannah. Well, just pray like Hannah and God will answer your prayers. We must get beyond that because the book is not about those people. The book of 1 Samuel is about God, who he is, what he does for his people. So we must move past the, the obvious, and I hope that as we study this, we can grapple with some of the inconsistencies or apparent inconsistencies. In Deuteronomy where it says, no man or woman of you shall be barren. How do we, how do we integrate that with Hannah's infertility? Or when, when God is talking to uh, Eli and he says, he says, none of your sins or the sins of your sons will ever be atoned for. How do we integrate that with the fact that Christ died once for all, the payment for sin? How do we put these inconsistencies or what seems like inconsistencies together? I hope we can grapple with some of those things as we study this. I hope we can look beyond the, the competition of a wannabe king and a should-be king and see that this is really about the kingly line of Jesus. Because of these kings, God is going to bring Jesus to earth, which we just celebrated at Christmas. So I want to talk to you now about the three major themes that happen in the book of 1 Samuel. The first one is God's holiness. God is holy. He demands worship. He deserves undivided worship. He insists upon it. God will not be trifled with or, or hap, uh, uh, treated lightly. Listen to these verses that come from this book. This is Hannah speaking once she has her son Samuel. She says, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. That's what Hannah says. When the Israelites open up the ark of God disrespectfully to look in. 
and they weren't even supposed to touch it. A pile of them were, were killed instantly. Those that remained said, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? When Eli confronts his sons about their sin, he says this to them, if someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? This is the God that we get to know through studying 1 Samuel. We see also that God is sovereign. By sovereign, I mean that God is all-powerful and he is the all-good provider. So he has the right and the power to do whatever pleases him. But because he is, he is absolutely benevolent, he will only do what is good in his purposes. All of his purposes are good. Now, we may not always understand that from our earthly perspective, but God is sovereign and he will bring about his purposes and he will bring about his purposes even when man's sin goes against his purposes. We see this over and over in 1 Samuel when, uh, when Eli and his sons are sinning and um, God says, you might be sinning, but this is what will happen. I will raise up for myself a faithful high priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. He says, you're doing that against my will, but my will will prevail. And I will raise up a faithful servant. And sure enough, out of that faithful servant comes Samuel. Uh, out of that, that prayer comes Samuel, a faithful high priest. But... Even more so, this is talking about Jesus. And what we find is Jesus on every page of the book of 1 Samuel. In Hebrews, it says, Christ became a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. You see, Samuel couldn't make sacrifice for the sins of the people. He couldn't give himself for them. But Jesus gave himself for us. For us sinners, Jesus gave himself. And that's what we will find as we study 1 Samuel. God's purposes are never thwarted by man's sin. We may reject him as king, just as the Israelites did in chapter eight after God performed this miracle of a battle and overcame the enemy without the Israelites doing anything, basically. They reject him as king, but eventually... God was going to bring a king who is righteous. That is David. But David failed at that too. And so ultimately, he's going to bring Jesus, which talks about the third theme, the king and the kingly line. So three themes, God is holy, God is sovereign, and then we have the king and the kingly line. So we are moving from a theocracy where God rules Israel to a monarchy where godly kings are to rule Israel according to God's word. But it failed. The system failed. No earthly king could really do the job that was supposed to be done. It's, it's kind of like the Israelites were saying, you know, um, the whole priest thing failed, the whole judge thing failed, let's try out the king. See if that works. Well, from our perspective now, we look back and we say, it failed. 
priest, judge, king failed. We need Jesus because Jesus is all three of those. Jesus is the high priest, the faithful high priest. He is the righteous judge. He is the benevolent king and he will come. And we see this here again, Hannah praying when when she had Samuel as her child, she prays and she says, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Well, his anointed is Jesus. She is talking about Jesus. And I think it's just so interesting in 1 Samuel because the two clearest references to King Jesus are given by women. One to Hannah, one from Hannah, and then this one is from Abigail, who would eventually become David's wife. And she says, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord David, so let me just clarify this, for the Lord, capital is God, will certainly make my Lord, little, David, a sure house. Well, a sure house is saying a dynasty, a line of kings. He, he will give, God will give David a sure house, a dynasty, because my Lord David is fighting the battles of the Lord God. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. Well, I have a question. If you know anything about David's life, was evil ever found in him? Yeah, there was. So she's talking about David at first, and then in that beautiful prophetic way that the Lord does, he switches over and now she's prophesying about the coming Messiah, the king who will have no evil in him, and that is Jesus. And Jesus, this Jesus is the answer to the two questions we read. Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? Who? Well, the implication is none, but Jesus is. Jesus is the one who stands before this holy God, and because of that, you and I can stand before this holy God. And the question was, who can intercede for a person who sins against God? And the implication is no one, but Jesus does. Jesus is our intercessor. He stands before God and intercedes for us all the time. We read this in Romans chapter eight. Jesus is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So Jesus fulfills everything in 1 Samuel. Everything that we read in 1 Samuel will be focusing on his great priesthood, his great judgment, and the fact that he is the king, the righteous king. So what does that mean for all of us? Today was a background, sort of almost like a class. We didn't even really open the scriptures and go expositionally through a passage yet, but we will do that for the rest of these months coming up. We will do that. So what's in it for us today? What's the challenge for us? First of all, I am asking you to read 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, again, is probably the most exciting narrative in all of scripture. It's amazing, as you read it, you'll get so energized and so excited, you'll fall in love with the characters, you'll hate some of them, and you'll just be emotionally engaged with it. To read the whole book will take two and a quarter hours, if you're slow, two and a half hours. So guess what, if you read for a half an hour a day, in five days, you would have the whole book read. You think you could do that? Five days. If you want to say, let's just take two chapters a day with an extra one on the Sundays, you can have the book read in two weeks. And then when you're done, read it again. And then when you're done, read it again. 
Read 1 Samuel. If you are not already in a reading program for this year, a Bible reading program, spend time here in 1 Samuel. Get your heart ready for that. And as you read, write down the questions. You will. I did, as I've been studying this now for the past few months. Lord, I don't get this. This is hard. How does this work? Write down those questions. God isn't afraid of your questions. Write them down, and we'll seek those answers together. You know, every week in your bulletin, it tells you the title of today's sermon, but then it gives you the title and passage of next week's sermon. So my challenge to you is, look at that. You get that usually on a Friday. Look at that, or see it this week in the bulletin, and read the passage for next Sunday. Because if you're reading the passage several times through the week, asking the Lord to teach you, you will get all the more out of the sermons here. So spend time in the book of 1 Samuel. You will not regret one minute of that time. Read it and just continue to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit as you're reading. And pray for yourself as you come here so that you would receive from 1 Samuel what the Lord would have. The second thing I'm asking you to do is to pray for the preaching. Let me tell you the great temptation that I have and that anybody who stands up here has. And that is to get to the beginning of the week and to think, I've got to make the greatest sermon, the one that would really zing them, right? But it's worthless unless the Lord zang me, <laughs> right? If the Lord is not preaching his word in my heart, then I should not be up here preaching his word to your heart. But that's a temptation and I need you to pray for us as we bring the word to you. Hold us in prayer. When you open up 1 Samuel, pray for yourself that you'll be open to it. Pray for us that the Lord be preaching to me, preaching to us that we may bring it to you with conviction of our own hearts so that you can hear the word of God proclaimed in a way so that the Lord would work the sermon in our lives and in yours together. And then finally, I am asking you to be open. Evaluate yourself. Are you yielding to the Holy Spirit? Are you? Are you yielding to God? Are you like David, a man or a woman after God's own heart? Or are you like Saul? Ah, I'll do it my way. I'll do it in my time. I know better. Or you're like Hannah, a woman who is broken because of her condition and comes to God. Or are you like Saul, who is broken, but never broken to repentance? Are you like Samuel, who is seeking to intercede for others and to, to be a righteous man? Or are you like Israel, it's up to somebody else, it's up to my parents, it's up to somebody else, it's up to the pastor, I'll let them worry about that God stuff. Jesus, Jesus is the only one who is the priest who can intercede for us, who is the judge and can de declare us righteous because of his righteousness, and is the king which means he has the authority to rule our lives. Are you open to Jesus? 
Are you willing to turn to him? We're going to pray. After I pray, we're going to sing a great song about the goodness of God because he is so good. And then, then we'll close. But I'm going to pray for us that our time together would be beneficial in the word. And I'll say it again, not just to learn more about the Bible, but that's a good thing. Not just to learn more about God, but that's a good thing. But to love God more and to be loved by him more, to be receptive to his love. I hope you want that as much as I want that. And I hope that that will grow in us over these next months together as we study and pursue and grapple with the hard issues in the scriptures in 1 Samuel. Pray with me now. Oh Lord, we just come to you thankful that you even want to speak to us. We don't deserve it, but we want it. And sometimes, Lord, sometimes I don't want it, but we want it. Increase our want for you Increase our desire for you. Increase our passion for you. Increase it to the point where nothing else will satisfy. No thing, no priest, no judge, no ruler, no government, nothing else will satisfy but you, Jesus. Only you. Father, we come to you seeking you and look forward and even expect to be strengthened, to be encouraged, to have increased hope, and to love you more. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.